0: And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. The power to define is the power to control, a famous phrase from the 1960s. And today, of course, we can't even agree on the meaning of male and female. It's very difficult to talk about uh, how to create a a, a flourishing culture uh, when we can't have reasonable discourse on the meaning of things like marriage or the moral status of the unborn child. There's been a breakdown in our common understanding of freedom, liberty, good, evil. My guest, Noel Mehring, is the author of Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and co-author with Carrie Gress of Theology of Home 1 and 2. You can visit her at noellmering.com. We'll have it linked at our site for you. And you'll be able to see her live tomorrow, 7 o'clock, at St. Pat's Church in Brighton So again, or excuse me, Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Brighton Let me change that note here But uh, you'll have a very good presentation uh, tomorrow We'll mention it later too And we'll have it posted at our site at alvemariaradio.net Noel, good to have you with me, thanks
1: It's great to be here with you Yeah,
0: Awake Not Woke Let me just ask a, an autobiographical question here Why this book and not another?
1: That's a good question. I I started writing about the woke movement around 2017, 2018, and I've always been interested in how politics affects our understanding of far more than what it seems like it's going to affect. And I think increasingly politics is trying to answer questions that it has no place answering. What is a human being? What is a woman? What is a man? Uh, what is the purpose of our life? Why are we living? What are we here for? Are we here to serve ourselves or to serve another? And so it seemed to me that that land grab was really um, affecting people and deeply and far more than politically, but actually who, uh, how they're going to live their life, whether or not they're going to remain in the faith, whether or not they're going to find Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it seemed to me that that was um, a pressing question. And I, after writing a few articles about it, I proposed the title, to my publisher at tan and greenlit they greenlit it yeah
0: very good i you know what what do you think uh, has happened is it that the absence as people have grown more secular in their thinking they haven't lost the need to tell a story about the way history is going or what progress is or what kind of people we ought to be. They still have to fill in all those blanks. Uh, I mean, I always get a kid out, kick out of people who think religion and politics don't have anything in common. I mean, what's a human being is a fundamentally religious question. We used to answer that question by a broad reference, a biblical reference to human beings are made in the image and likeness of God. And even if a person wasn't a Christian, uh, they're operating within a social environment which looked upon human beings as, um, in in many ways, a finished product. <laughs> they weren't just in the middle of a, a new evolution to something. So, is is do we have this movement, progressive uh, politics movement? Is is that a way of trying to uh, fill in those basic worldview questions? that used to be answered by Christianity or is it something new?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of the, as old as um, the fall of man in a way. Ye shall be as gods. I, re- I really do think this is a yeah. self-deifying sort of yeah. movement. And like you are saying, you know, we are religious people. We're made for religion. And so when we try to eradicate it, we just relocate those instincts to something else. Right. And I think right. any kind of ideology that promises that we can re-engineer society where everyone will be happy, where we'll have some sort of utopia – is going to be a society that um, creates a religious fervor sure. against dissent. The hunger, to it's hunger dissent. for the kingdom makes sense. is what it is. Yeah. But yeah. there's a couple of things going on. I mean, I also think that the ideology has been really uh, – the movement has been really effective at – conveying its messages in ways where you don't even understand you're shifting your worldview. It's just in the movies, you know, even children's movies. Um, I write in the book about, you know, several children's movies taking my own kids to see and realizing, wow, they're just getting indoctrinated, you know, in, in some subtle and less subtle ways, but yeah. reorienting the way they saw what was um, their purpose in life. Who's the hero? The hero more and more is the person who embraces their, how much of a societal freak they can be yeah. rather than embracing some sort of courage, courageous tale. And so I think all these things combine um, to create a uh, default way of thinking. But then also we have it simultaneously and as part of it, the sexual revolution, which has left us with generations of people who are deeply, deeply wounded. And um, don't know how to trust, don't know where they belong. They don't have a sense of security and uh, significance and loyalty that the, a, a proper family life gives you. And so they're rightfully searching for that. And this ideology comes in and says, let us answer those questions and those longings of your heart. But let, let us answer, to, answer them by, in a way that exploits your wounds, not, not heals them. Yeah. So you want to belong. Um, You want to feel unique. Here's a unique identity. You can be an LGBTQ. You can be um, a a non-binary. You know, these are all ways of giving a person a unique identity, Mm -hmm. which they should have in the familial relationship with our divine father as well as our human family. Um, So it really takes a lot of those uh, social pathologies and real hurts and exploits them for the sake of. Um, revolutionary social reengineering, um, and, and that amplifies and builds and exacerbates everything that's been—it's been happening all these generations.
0: Who benefits from this woke movement?
1: Well, I, mean, I think like most utopian ideologies, it ends up being fewer and fewer people, right? right? Yeah. In a, an yeah. increasing elite group of people um, um, with a bunch of people who are real believers and end up kind of being burned in the meanwhile. So yeah. um, you know, it benefits people who are, gain, who are gain, gaining power and it benefits the powerful. And that's what's one of the ironies of it is that it's really um, – it's ostensibly for people on the margins, but it ends up being um, – preserving the power of the most powerful.
0: I I remember from uh, I graduated from high school in 1969, so I was very aware of the political uh, turmoil of the period, um, and I can remember people uh, standing up at rallies and saying, you know, using phrases like "power to the people," and even then I would say to myself, "Well, what people? I mean, if if you have to say that." It must mean that some people are not here, you know, that you're working against. So it's a way, there's an attempt to define um, your movement as the next great wave of history. Uh, we're going to uh, be uh, in charge. What do you see, So, so America has a long history of race problems, and... We've seen the the progressive ideology movement uh, exploit that. Um, how do you stand against this when you know that uh, our history is being exploited for the purpose of personal political gain?
1: Yeah, I, that's a great question. I mean, I think that one of the ways that's most compelling to people is that it's grabbed um, the mantle of in order to be for justice, you have to be an ideologue in this manner. So, you if you want to be against racism, which all reasonable, goodwill people yeah. want to be against racism, then you have to apply it in the, this very particular way now. And it's a real, really different from you know, for example, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. would have identified where yeah. he centralized the common humanity of the yeah. human person. Yeah. That's why we are brothers and sisters. Yeah, now that,
0: that's what gave him such moral leverage. That's
1: right. And now there's been a shift where we are no longer unite. Defined in, by things that unify us, but rather we're defined into division. Who is an oppressor? oppressor who is an oppressed? Um, you know, it's a really contra gospel message. So, for example, I talk about mm. in the book how in the faith we know that we're defined by the love of God. And that gives us a mission to go out and spread to people the good news that they are loved. In the woke movement, we are defined not by the love of God, but by the hatred of mankind. Right. And that gives us a contra gospel message to go raise the consciousness of our fellow man to to alert them to the fact that he is hated or that he is uh, un- subconsciously a hater. Yeah. Um, and it's really disempowering as you're talking about the the power, um, uh, power of the people in the 60s. One of the things I find most frustrating about the movement is um, – you know, it really tells people that they their circumstances, any disparity, anything going wrong right. in their life, there's no way that they can transcend those circumstances. Not by merit, it's, not by effort, right. not by the help, mentorship, not by friendship. Um, that the only that they they are helpless in the face of hard circumstances. Yeah. There's nothing more disempowering from, than that. Right. You know, if you, so the only option you have then is to despair and then be enraged.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing, the only answer is revolution. Right, To overthrow the establishment which Americans don't really like that idea. I mean, it's even our own quest for independence doesn't really line up with the revolutionary ethos of France at that time. But, but this is, to me, this leaves people, as you say, it leaves people with only one uh, thing. You have to knock down the, the, the given establishment, that I am, something's wrong in my life and I'm victimized by forces that I, as an individual, can't do much about. That's right. So let me join this group that's going to, you know, tear down the establishment, give it to the man. You know, what I mean, all this nonsense, which. If you think very much about it, that would be a, really a mess.
1: It is. And, it, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why it spreads is because we're all tempted in small and large ways in our life to not look at ourselves, right? That it's really compelling. I see this in my kids as, the, you know, as they mature, they move from I, something went wrong and I'm, it's my sister's fault or my brother's fault or my mom. And, I, yeah. and eventually through maturity, you start to say, well, what? How, how can I have contributed here? What can I do to improve yeah. this? But that instinct is with us our whole life. You know, my, I'm not happy. Something's gone wrong. I want to blame someone. And so it takes that natural temptation, the human person, um, that really is a weak temptation, but is a human one. And it it says, no, this is what you actually should be leaning into. This is where you'll find your paths of virtue is through the path of accusation. Um, And the faith really stands athwart that, right? In the mea culpa, mea culpa, in the examination of conscience, in the weekly or regular confession. The faith is always prompting us against that temptation. And I really see that as so many, it's one example that is poignant, but also one of many where the faith stands athwart this movement, diametrically opposed. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, in some some ways, uh, the analysis of American history, which sees America as a... uh, as on balance, a force for evil rather than a force for good, that is really a distorted form of examination of conscience. It's it's looking at one's own national history and blaming oneself for what went wrong, but it is, it is blaming oneself without the possibility of redemption. So Christians looking at our history can see all the problems that we've had and yet know that... Uh, it doesn't end there that there's always something better that we can strive for nationally um, the 1619 movement for instance is is a, a very twisted uh, examination of conscience by people who imagine that uh, that when we do an examination of conscience and discover our moral guilt that 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 makes us wicked people we are a wicked nation Uh, we'll come back and talk about this a little more because to me the progressive ideology has exploited and distorted certain aspects of Christian thought good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Noel Merring, author of Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. It's beautifully written, too. It's full of insight. Uh, I really would urge you to get a copy of it. Uh, it. It, again, has a kind of a creative and constructive tone about it, uh, so you're not uh, spending your time just pulling out your hair, which many books dealing with... Uh, you know the woke movement and progressivism. How are you doing? Uh, let me stress too that Noel is speaking uh, tomorrow night at Holy Spirit Catholic Church in Brighton, and that's uh, part of the uh, Men on Fire series that, that uh, our friend Rory Clark's taking care of, doing great stuff. But it's women are welcome too, so don't don't be put off by Men on Fire. Women are on fire as well, so show up at Holy Spirit Catholic Church uh, tomorrow night. Uh, in Brighton. Uh, Prayer starts at 545, Mass at 615, Uh, talk begins at 7, and uh, her topic will be uh, what we're discussing today, and which is the topic of her book, Awake, Not Woke, A Christian Response to the Cult of Progressive Ideology. I do love the idea that you tie this back into the, the whole biblical story, that this goes back to the garden. There is this conflict to define Real, to humans to define reality rather than allowing God to define reality. And uh, we 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 have the temptation uh, to be as gods uh, in the garden. And again, uh, right now we're finding in our own country that we can't even define male and female. That's weird. That is really weird.
1: Yeah and it, in in some ways i think of it as um you know a way to make us as compliant as possible because if if an ideology can Force you to say things that you know deep down to be a lie, yeah. and not even deep down, but you know you're actually lying when you're saying them. Well, what can't they get you to do yeah. right? Yeah, um, because then you no longer can trust your own ability to access what is true. Um, you're you're so afraid of misstepping or going against the ideology that you're welcoming a sh- you know an ideological shepherd to tell you what to say, how to think, what's the right speech, what's the wrong speech. Yeah. I mean, it's an old it's an old story, one that's been tried so many times with every totalitarian regime, but for good reason, because I think that our ability to access truth truth is fundamental to our ability to reason together, um, for our ability to to find our purpose, to our ability to find things that are not inside of our solely of our desires, but to actually harmonize our desires to what we ought to desire, to redirect our longings to who we ought to long for. Um, So that that it's a real rupture, I think, in that way.
0: Um, A a movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that starts as a explicitly uh, Marxist oriented place to celebrate Fidel Castro's birthday you know uh, they have uh, I haven't seen their website lately but that's what the, we had screenshots from the original website how how does that it, the idea that that phrase caught on when you might remember that when Black lives, uh, Black lives Matter became a popular phrase, it was common to say, well, yes, all lives matter. And that was taken, uh, the phrase all lives matter, was taken as a counter-revolutionary protest and people were canceled for using it. How does that happen?
1: Okay. Well, I think a lot of it is intimidation. I mean, I think that they, they had started around the time of Trayvon Martin, but they really exploded onto the popular imagination in 2020, George Floyd. Yeah, that's right. And I remember um, people left and right, you know, that o- old friends, associates, you know, people I knew just remotely, um, all over social media, there was this clarion call, it's no longer okay to be um, not racist. Now you have to be an anti-racist. Right. And it was, you know, the phrase of Ibram X. Kendi. Yeah, the terrible and, book. Right, terrible book. And But I think that that, that – Idea is, and that that kind of assertion was so dramatically and emphatically stated with this narrative that's all over all of our media of, you know, this, you know, the death of this man. Um, and, you know, all the assumptions that are going into that, that the police are uniformly to be condemned. And, you know, there had been so much groundwork laid in that for that moment to become one that was incredibly explosively divisive. Um, and I think people want to be on the right side really quickly. Uh, and when they're feeling that they're judged, and they're seeing the crowd do these things, you know, that's really compelling. You know, I think people are, it's hard to stand on your own, it's hard to sit back and have have a measured, thoughtful Approach and say, "Let's wait for the information. Let yeah, me think about this. Yeah, what does right. this phrase mean to be an anti-racist? What it, let me? Maybe I should read the book about anti-racism yeah. because there's a whole lot of stuff in there that I wouldn't want. I think most people wouldn't want to swallow. But it's really pr- uh, promulgated with such authority and I think uh, t- intimidation. I think a lot of people just jump on board.
0: Yeah. It, it's 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 a funny thing because when you try to figure out how these things work together. Oftentimes, it's not easy to trace the genealogy. So there's the history of ideas, and you do some of that in the book here, uh, talking about the history, uh, you know, Western history, philosophical history from uh, Hegel, and then uh, left-wing Hegelianism with Marx, and and the Frankfurt School uh, that brings cultural Marxism to the United States in the 19, 1930s, is it? Yeah. Um all that uh, all that is fas- fascinating to me and very important and yet when you begin when your neighbor down the street all of a sudden starts participating is becomes a champion of progressive in progressivism they, they may know absolutely nothing that's right about the intellectual history behind this and yeah. uh, the reason i know this cuz i've tried to tell people why they think what they think yeah. and of course that they say that's not why I think. Right, that. they tune it out. <laughs> you know, Mar-
1: I'm not t- reading Karl Marx. You know, I'm not right. reading
0: Margaret Sanger. Right, exactly. Um,
1: I'm reading Cosmopolitan magazine yeah. and watching Friends. Yeah. Right, you know? yeah, exactly. And yeah, that's
0: why it's so important yeah. to to be able to meet people where they are. Yeah. Uh, in this kind of thing, well, what do you suggest we do when we're we're confronted with a friend who comes up and well, I use I use the phrase Black Lives Matter again, and and, and it says, you know, yeah, I look. I'm privileged. I know I'm privileged. Uh, I have many things, uh, social capital that was built up my family and friends in my neighborhood, and I have benefits that uh, a young uh, black man in uh, East Side of Detroit doesn't have. Okay, so I want to stress Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my my responsibility I would ask, well, what are you doing about it? Yeah. But oftentimes, what happens is we we hear the phrase "Black Lives Matter" and we punch back. How do you respond to people that are obviously their hearts are in the? They want to do the right thing. That's what I'm yeah. trying to say. They want to do the right thing. That's why they've quickly conformed to this progressive cry. How, how do you move them to? both intellectual and moral clarity. What do you say to them to help them think through this more clearly without sounding as though you're negating... Their moral impulse.
1: Yeah, no, it's such an important question. One I think about a lot. And you know, for first of all, I think it takes a lot of prudence, right? Like, is this my neighbor, and we're having a quick moment on on the driveway? You know, sometimes we don't always engage, or is this someone who's very <laughs> right. hostile, right? You know, right, right. another time maybe don't yeah. engage, maybe just try to be kind and loving to that person. But there's other times where you know you we can have a, over a course of a long time, maybe through a friendship, there can be little conversations that add up because there's so much to untangle in that phrase, Black Lives Matter. And we're probably not going to convince someone in a moment. Right. But, I, and, and, but I think we want to acknowledge that there's a truth there, right? Um, you know, we are, sure, we, yeah. uh, th- even the, the appeal to privilege, although it's done in a Marxist way that's meant to not r- induce you to gratitude, but rather to guilt, That there's a real difference nice. there and one that could be teased out. But it's not immediately evident in a casual conversation. Right? So I think it takes some p- massaging, and, but, mm-hmm. but I think we can talk through that. But I'd also um you know if I think a person's open to it, ask them some some questions. For example, one of the things I like to I've pointed out before to people who are kind of polled in this movement is to say, why do you think it is that so many DEI experts have been publicly comfortable saying things like politeness is a white virtue, being on time is a white virtue, hard work, objective reasoning, these are white virtues. They think they're saying something empowering to black people, but I have black nieces and nephews. What is that going to tell them? Right. They, they're less likely to be on time or to be work hard or to be objectively um, reason, reasonable. Yeah. You know, these are incredibly racist things to say. And that really pulls someone up short because they usually haven't heard about these, you know, the implications and more the radical statements. And so it can give them pause.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah. Also,
1: you referenced the belief page that they've now wiped. Why did Black Lives Matter say that part of their belief system or belief pages where page said, we want to queer the culture? Yeah. We want to disrupt the nuclear family. You know, what does a movement for racial justice have to do with queering the culture? So just those sorts of questions um, can leave someone questioning their own beliefs.
0: Yeah. Um, You're younger than I am. Are you uh, hopeful for the American future?
1: I am an optimist by nature. Um, mm-hmm. for one thing, I, I am hopeful because I do see this fundamentally as a spiritual battle, and mm-hmm. so we, we have all the means at our in our toolbox yeah. um, in fighting this battle, yeah. and we have a our, our victor. Um, so I think, you know, it's insofar as we devote ourselves to fighting it in that level through intense prayer, I think uh, that commitment will bear much, much fruit. And I have real true faith and hope in that. Um, but secondly, I think that the movement really doesn't have much to offer. It's destructive yeah. and can only offer despair and nihilism. What can we can offer is the whole longings of the human heart. You know, that's what the faith offers you. And so people want to live deeply human lives. Everyone is made to live for love, right? And this is – they're not made for despair, and so the choice it becomes stark, really, ultimately. Do you want a life of destruction and despair, or do you want a life of everything you ever could have hoped for? Right, right. He is inside of all of our human longings. And so insofar as we can indicate to people and reveal to people, sometimes without even words, the fulfillment that is to be had in Christ, um, then uh, that's a convincing argument in and of itself. Yeah. No, that's,
0: that's wonderful. Uh, I think it's important to remember that um, these people are not our enemies, you know they 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 may be our opponents in certain political matters, but they're not our enemies. Uh, there is an enemy that we have, and uh, we have ways of fighting back uh, when it comes to spiritual warfare but uh, you sound like you 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 still believe that words matter and that conversation can persuade.
1: I do I mean, I think that you maybe not with the most intensely radical in the movement, right, but, but right. well, you 're a woke neighbor down the street you know your woke cousin You know I think that most of these people most people don't they don 't see the full implications of the movement, and so I, one of the things I remind myself is I want to fight the revolution and I want to love the person, yeah. and I think that we can do both
0: yeah yeah, very good um, have you I'm, you probably have seen uh, statistics dealing with the uh, you might see victims of the sexual revolution? that this movement that was supposed to be so free and liberating and um, opening us up to uh, deeper uh, erotic experiences, uh, this that whole thing has created so much scar tissue on the soul, and as well as disease and, and the spread of disease. I just saw statistics. What was it, Bryant? the numbers on... Uh, new new STD numbers came out, and there was just radical rise in syphilis, you know, crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, how how do we? I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated because I've watched this for years, and we I can remember when the divorce revolution started. And everybody said, well, you know, divorce is necessary because, you know, you don't want parents fighting in the home. It's better for the kids this way. And everybody, it was all thought that divorce would have known deleterious consequences. Uh, eventually, in the 1990s, the uh, late 80s, 1990s, the academicians began to look over the social science data and realize, wow, we have a problem here. Adult children of divorce really have been damaged by divorce. You know, Dan Quayle was right. It was a was a statement on the Atlantic at that time. Um, time and again, we find that almost we can use social science to do apologetics, and yet we're not somehow we're not getting that across. The Me Too movement, you know, what? Yeah, look, yes, for heaven's sakes, the Catholic faith has condemned that kind of exploitation from the beginning. Uh, The sociologist Rodney Stark, who just died in his book, Rise of Christianity, points out one of the reasons the Christian faith, the Jesus movement was uh, appealing to women in the Roman Empire was because Christian men were expected to treat them as sisters, (laughs) not as instruments of pleasure, you know. Um, In other words, we, we have human flourishing here to offer, and we haven't been able to somehow get this argument in the right place or... With the right power of persuasion what what do you think is keeping that from happening? The data's there, yeah. the argument is there, yeah. we 've got the evidence we 've got the logic
1: I, well, I think the messaging from the other side has been very compelling, you know, so take the me too movement, for example um, you know the the irony of that is that they 're prescribing as the remedy the thing that caused the problem, so they're saying smash we need to smash the patriarchy harder, yeah, right yeah. M- toxic masculinity men yeah. are bad." Well, if we had true masculinity, true masculinity is a remedy for all these ills. Mm-hmm. Saint Thomas Aquinas says that a, a manliness is someone who's willing to forego pleasure yeah. for the sake of what is du- his uh, duty.
0: I've got the music up. Okay, gotta be back in just a minute. Noel mirroring my guest. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta with me, Noel Mehring You're going to be at uh, Holy Spirit tonight
1: Holy Spirit tomorrow night Um, Tomorrow night, very good Thursday evening, uh, Mass is at 6.15 with prayer at 5.45 before that And then my talk will be at 7pm, open to men and women
0: Oh, Very good If you go to avimarioradio.net, it's there in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage there In the slider box, information is there Her book, Awake Not Woke, it's essential reading it's a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology. It'll load your lip so you have good phrases, too. Thanks so much, Noel.
1: Sure. I'd love to tell people to go to theologyofhome.com as well, if you have a chance. Excellent. Um, it's an antidote to the woke movement.
0: Very good.